<clears throat> All right, so um, lots of people asked me about Education Week and everything. So I thought I would share a couple pertinent Isaiah-related things from Education Week that were just awesome. So um, let me pull the screen share up really quick. Let's see. Wow, impressive. <laughs> just, just as it goes down, just a second. Where did it go? Well, it went fast and on uh, education week. It goes fast now. I mean, it's just a fast <laughs> screen. Take your pictures <laughs> quick. <laughs> yep. All right. Can you see? Um, yes. My screen. Okay. So um, this one was from Joseph Spencer. And um, anyway, he's, he's a great scholar on Isaiah in the Book of Mormon and lots of different little things. Um, interesting to note that he does not like Gileadi at all and uh, disagrees with some of his stuff. But, you know, well, that's what we're doing. We're all studying Isaiah in our own uh, realms and things and, and kind of bringing it all together. But some interesting correlations that I thought were, were fun here from his class. So um, he, I, I can't remember the full backstory of, of what he was talking about, but he, his first class on Monday was all about finding Isaiah in first Nephi, because we all know that it's in second Nephi, but there's quite a bit in first Nephi that's preparing us to receive the message in second Nephi. And so um he found some literary patterns, uh, much like Avraham did in, in the biblical Isaiah, um, when he went back to the original chapter breaks of First Nephi. So our current chapter breaks are not original to the Book of Mormon. Those were um, done in 1879 by Orson Pratt. He was commissioned by the prophet to do so, uh, to put chapters and verses to everything so that we could study and uh, be more cohesive as, as a church on it. But if we go back to the original seven chapters of First Nephi, I think that that's a very interesting point in and of itself right there. So we have a seven-part bifid structure in Isaiah that uh, Avraham Gileadi and Brownlee have, have found and, and examined. And here in First Nephi, we also have a seven-part bifid structure that uh, Nephi is, is using and implementing. So... Um, here is a breakdown of those seven chapters, and the first two are an abridgment of Lehi's record versus Nephi's proceedings in the other five chapters. And so if we take a look at those, I'm going to, to move uh, all of these into a chiastic structure. In um, So if we're looking at a chiasm of ABBA, chapter one of original first Nephi is how they got Isaiah, how they received the, the, the book of, of Isaiah. And then uh, moving down the chiasm, chapter two is how they received the vision, uh, the tree of life vision, Lehi's uh, dream. And then chapters three and four explain that vision in detail. And then chapters um, six and seven go into explain Isaiah. And, and in detail. So I'm gonna go back to the previous slide to kind of get that framework there. So we have chapter five that is kind of this interlude in between this chiasm and it's kind of its own 
chiasm within a chiasm, but um, uh, omitting that one and just looking at chapters uh, one, two, and then three, four, five, six, it, it creates this, this perfect little chiasm here in a bifid structure, um, much like the biblical Isaiah does, but in, in a different way. And so here are the conclusions that um, Joseph Spencer comes out with in his class. He says that first Nephi comes in two halves, much like Isaiah, a bifid structure. So we have Lehi and Nephi's proceedings, and that um, it was divided with two chapters and five chapters. Um, Lehi's abridgment, I'm reading from bullet point number four there. Lehi's abridgment was originally made up of two stories one about getting a copy of past prophecies, and one about starting a tradition of present prophecy. And then Nephi's own proceedings was originally built around two major concerns, one about how to make sense of present prophecy, and one about how to make sense of past prophecies. So what Nephi is doing so eloquently with, with, Nephi, uh, with his proceedings in First Nephi here, is saying that they can't live only on past prophecies, they need present prophecy as well. And likewise, they can't only live on present prophecy, they need past prophecies. And so there's this dichotomy that is applicable to our day. We can't only rely on present prophecies, but we have to have the past. But together, we need both and the spirit, it's kind of that trifecta that, that we always talk about, that we need all three to, to establish good doctrine in our lives, right? So um, bullet point number seven there talks about that each of Nephi's two prophetic sources, both past and present, explain the other. And that's what's meant by likening the scriptures to ourselves. So uh, he talked about the, the good basic primary level of understanding where if we liken the scripture to ourselves, it's where we put our name in the scriptures and, and get a good meaning out of it. That's great. But if we're really wanting to understand what Nephi is saying by likening, it means that you can't understand Isaiah without Lehi's dream, and you can't understand Lehi's dream without Isaiah. They're meant to be together. And so that was like a whoa, aha moment to me that I have never put together, and, and it's very exciting. Um, so here's his kind of four takeaways, um, and I kind of just summarized it uh, there, but um, he introduces us to the stories and the sources and, and basically says that, that if you want to understand Isaiah, you have to know Lehi's dream, and that they are companion scriptures. You're never going to understand one without the other, um, as far as the, the Gentiles go. So anyway, that was a fun class on Isaiah that I took that uh, just kind of blew my mind. I'm going to go through my notes and really get that all mo more coherent and, and everything and, and share that with everyone, uh, my slides and, and my notes there. But because um, that was only Monday, uh, there's <laughs> other days of the week that uh, were blowing my mind as well. Um, and then another class that I, I feel is kind of pertinent. Uh -huh. Yeah, sorry. Can I just comment there as like, it's amazing how, like you think back of Joseph Smith translating this record and he's been accused of just making up stories, you know, different things. 
there's no way that he would know <laughs> to make this in chiastic form and to get this all, you know, it's just like, it's just it makes my testimony even more strong. He would have had been the greatest Hebrew literary genius to mm -hmm. ever come up with all of that stuff. You know, like yeah. there's just absolutely no way. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, just thinking that as you was presenting that. Mm -hmm. But I, I find it interesting throughout that, that even our day of restoration has some things um, muddled, you know, like our current chapter breaks, you would never get this. You have to go back to the original yeah. translation that, that Joseph Smith is receiving and stuff. And mm -hmm. like, it takes a deep dive. It's like, even within the restoration itself, our footnotes have footnotes and you have to really dive. You have to work for, for some of those literary devices. And, and also you look on the other end of the spectrum, Nephi writing this, he couldn't have done that on his own. He, he had to be being guided by the Holy Ghost, you know, to get that all in there like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. it's, it's just cool. Yeah, very much so. But um, one thing to reiterate from, uh, I can't remember if it was two weeks ago or maybe last week, I don't know. But um, what Avraham said in uh, his book here was that the the specific device that unlocks Isaiah in the last days is its literary devices. So once people can start pulling out the chiastic structure, the parallelisms, the uh, there's a few other terms and stuff that are escaping my brain right now, but those are what unlocks Isaiah in the last days. It is the sealed book that's talked about in scripture. And it's like, oh, that's why when it was suggested to me to read Isaiah decoded, et cetera, or whatever. That's why when I finally read those, it clicked. It was like, oh, I've never read it like this before. You know, I've read lots of Isaiah simplified and they're still like, I, I don't know anything that I read in those books. But, but once you finally have the correct key to unlock it with the, the literary patterns that are there, it all starts to make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting that multiple people are being guided yeah, in different that's ways. What I was say. And at this time, when yeah. we need it, then it's coming forth through not just one person, but many are finding mm -hmm. different patterns through it. And it's, it's opening it up for us. It's great. Yeah. And that's what I like about them is like, I don't know if they have kind of like a, a, a jealous envy kind of thing going on with each other or whatever. Like, oh, I don't like Gileadi or, oh, I don't like this. Like, but I mean, you're all studying it the same way. You're getting different things out of it, but, but that's what's important where we need to all come together and work together and start unlocking some of these, these awesome things that are in I Isaiah. I think it's probably their mission in life. They were guided to, mm -hmm. to do this. It's probably ours too, right now studying it. Yeah. getting this for our families and communities etc like uh, you know i think it's, it's it's a crucial time to to yeah. finally be unlocking this sealed book you know yeah. it's no coincidence that the lord has said i mean the only commandment of actual scripture is isaiah this is the one that we are commanded to to read and search and and i think here's why <laughs> so from a different class um this was kevin tolly and his was just like an overview of how the Old Testament came to be, how we have it today. 
And so, um, uh, again, I'm trying to, to wrap this into Isaiah. Uh, trust me, go with me for a second. <laughs> um, so, uh, originally, the, the Hebrews had these three different collections of writings. They had the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. But I want to focus on the Nevi'im, that prophets category there in the middle. So in the prophets category, they had former prophets, latter prophets, and then 12 prophets. And then this slide is comparing that same thing that I just showed you. It's there on the left where they have former prophets, latter prophets, and 12 prophets. That's how it's organized in the, uh, in the Jewish Tanakh. And then on the right-hand side is our current King James Version, which just kind of puts things in a totally different spin. Uh, it just lumps a lot of major prophets and minor prophets. And I don't know, it, it, it's very different, right? But I think that the Hebrews were knowing exactly what they were doing and, and they put those together on purpose the way that they did. And here's why. So the former prophets and the latter prophets is not a demarcation of time chronologically as in former and latter, but the former prophets are historical. They, they wrote about what they were living. The latter prophets are called of God to prophesy of the latter days. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, Yes, they are writing about what they're seeing, but their, their prophecies are twofold, where they're prophesying forward. And so um, this slide is, is kind of where it all comes together. So the latter prophets, the, the latter-day prophecy prophets, are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. They are the ones, the, the first presidency of sorts, that are prophesying for our day, Isaiah being the chief prophet with his two counselors, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, kind of putting it in, in that way. And then we have 12 minor prophets, but they're all prophesying of the latter days. Six of them are prophesying of the wickedness and injustice, and six of them are prophesying of the resolution and covenant blessings of the last days. And so uh, Kevin Tolley in the class was saying that the Jews have a lot of respect for our church organization, because we follow the pattern of their scripture. We have called a first presidency with a prophet at the head and 12 apostles, just like their scriptures are pointing to. Their scriptures, they didn't have a, a prophet, a first presidency and 12 apostles in their structure of, of priesthood at the time. But the, the Hebrew prophets that compiled the, the Tanakh, the, their Bible, put it together in this manner, pointing forward to when we would have a first presidency and 12 apostles. And so they recognize that there's something there that, you know, those, those Mormons, they, they got something right, even though they might not agree with all of our teachings, but um, they recognize that we are following that pattern of prophets and, and apostles kind of thing. Anyway, I thought that was very interesting to, to see that all laid out because it's been there, but um, we, in our King James Version, have just a, a different mixture. It's kind of like that principle of First Nephi. If we go back to the original chapter breaks, we'll find patterns. But all of the, the changes, you know, it, we think it's making it more convenient for us, but we lose some of the, the patterns, the, the ways of the Hebrews that it was meant to convey prior. Anyway, just a kind of 
<laughs> sidestep. I, I promise we'll get to <laughs> Isaiah tonight. Um, but this was another fun slide. I'm going to remaster it so that it, you can read it and stuff. But this one is the the descents and ascents of Abraham all throughout his story. I found it very interesting to, to see someone map it out, you know, kind of like we read through the, the Abraham book. Um, so every test of, of obedience that Abraham had and what came out of each test. I, I found that very fun. Anyway, um, let's see. Where do we want to go now? So let's dive into uh, Isaiah chapter 28. So while we're getting there, um, I, I wanted to talk about the where we're at uh, in uh, the whole scheme of Isaiah, right? We, we've been through ruin and rebellion and all of these points of this great chiastic uh, structure. And so where are we at now? We just got done with the suffering and salvation, the, the great uh, Jehovah and Christ chapters. Um, and now we are headed into very relevant and, and poignant uh, topics here, right? Um, if you've done your homework this week, you'll notice that we are living uh, chapters 28 through 31 in, in such a, a, a crazy way. I didn't plan that out at all, but um, come follow me and what we're studying here in Isaiah are like so relevant, so timely. Uh, anyway, so um, let's see. Yeah, let me just read this first paragraph here from the disloyalty and loyalty part of uh, the literary message of Isaiah. So it says that um, part six of the Bifid structure consists of homiletic or moralistic material and is thus distinguishable as a literary genre. So this part that we're reading this week and next week are completely different literarily. Is that a word, literarily? Um, uh, they have a different poetry style or, or whatever have you from all of the other part, parts of the chiasm. This one deals with morals, you know, kind of the moral of the story. Um, and so this one has a reproving and exhortative tone centered around Jehovah's word and covenant. And it attempts to elicit a loyal response to Jehovah's covenant from those flagrantly disloyal to him. At the same time, Jehovah confirms the covenant with those who exercise loyalty towards him. Wickedness and righteousness springing from loyalty and disloyalty thus assume a formal covenantal aspect. Righteousness consummates in a covenant of life. On the other hand, wickedness consummates in a covenant with death. At Jehovah's day of judgment, as Jehovah's day of judgment approaches, the righteous are sealed up covenantally to salvation and the wicked to damnation. So I think that that's very interesting here. So this week, we're going to be focusing on the covenant with death. And then next week, those chapters are going to be dealing with the covenant of life for those who are loyal. So, um, it, you know, kind of hard to, <laughs> it's a hard pill to swallow that uh, we're actually living uh, the time of the, the covenant of death and, and how uh, we're seeing that play out in our, our daily lives right now. But um, I, I think that we're unlocking Isaiah. Cameron, I think a lot of the, the, the time of death that we're talking about is not necessarily a physical death. But it is a time when the the 
the spirit of man stops looking for God. They literally die spiritually uh, and, and they become damned. They don't want to progress anymore. They don't want to know anymore. In fact, some of them want to know less because, yeah. well, they know that there is a, a responsibility and there's an accountability due to this. And I think this also has to do with part of that death. And this is going to be one of the biggest issues that is going to account be accounted for by all the people on the earth is that they will say, I don't want to know about Christ or I don't believe in him and it has never done me anything. And so they're already dead. So the only thing and we can do is pray for them to have another opportunity to accept and then uh, be resurrected, so to speak, as far as their desire to know about Christ. Yeah. I, I like that, that resurrection imagery there, you know, because I mean, that's what it's going to take to wake some people back up if, if they've chosen to, to leave and, and be disloyal to, to what they know, right? And, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't think, I actually think that a lot of people are not going to be making these choices on purpose. I think they're going to be making choices based on the information that they're given. And 90% of the information that they are given is disinformation. It's given by a, a false or a counterfeit source. And therefore they are earnest in their choice, in their desire, but they are following, uh, uh, they're being misled by the wrong shepherd and they can't tell the difference and let's face it if if we think we are hearing our shepherd then why are we going to ask to see their validation you know their accreditation um and, and that, that's what, especially that's what i see about in the people's attitudes today on many subjects and i'm getting the feeling now that religion in and of itself is is becoming um a bad habit because mm -hmm. a lot of people are being associated they're associating religion organized religion with uh segregation with racism with the reason for the division and that's that's the the way the adversary is going to play it out when in reality the gospel of jesus christ was the most inclusive there ever was but because of plain and precious truths being lost and uh, the uh, the designing of evil men uh, the conspiring of evil men uh, the plan is being played out but it's not a surprise to the savior and he through isaiah and many other people he gave us all warnings but we have to hear the warnings and we gotta and we don't they don't just come in our doorstep like the morning paper we actually gotta put forth the effort to try to find them because, you know, if the only thing you do when you get the, the paper is open for the funny paper, you, you know, or the obituaries, that's all you see. Who knows? But you got to look for the good news. Mm -hmm. So Arnaud von Ries is taking a ethics and morals class this semester. And yeah. um, the thesis statement from the professor is that racism in America is caused by Christianity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is, I mean, this is, this is at UVU. It's not at BYU, although it could have been, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they're going to read about 80 different articles or 
things and they're going to evaluate that. So it'll be interesting to see if that's really what he wants to get across or if it, that's a shock value thing, you know, because that's what mm -hmm. everybody's saying and they'll, they'll find out that no, that's really not it. I, I don't know. We'll find out as the semester goes on. But but that's what it is. I mean, everybody's taking aim at Christianity. It's the it's the source of all of their ills. Yeah. It's interesting that that's um, you know, what's prophesied, right? I mean, with Daniel, with Revelation or whatever, that's what the Antichrist does is targets Christianity as a whole before he comes after the true church, you know, like uh, yep. he's gonna discredit all of, of all of that. Christ-centered stuff. I mean, that's all baloney. Like, amazing. We're seeing it play out. So, his so, well. position has to be one that people want to follow. Mm -hmm. And and right now, you know, the I'm going to go out and rob a bank. You want to go with me? People aren't going to go. No, no, no. But by poisoning them by degrees, he's gotten them to think that yeah, poison. Yeah, we should go rob that bank because those people are robbing the rich, robbing the rich to pay to the poor. But I think we should rob the rich to pay for us because we're poor. So let's go. <laughs> yeah. Dirty got him thinking that looting is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um as as we've all been talking and listening, um, the pride cycle in the Book of Mormon keeps coming to my mind. And I remember President Faust saying one time um, that we may not be as innocent as we think. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say that that is true. We, uh, in the Book of Mormon in Second Nephi, I can't remember which chapter it talks about us, um, he's talking about his people but it applies to us too being stiff-necked and prideful and um they're, they're i don't want to say too much but i i think that we can be um as christians um uh, in unintentionally contributing to the problem that some of the rest of the world see in our position in our beliefs yeah for sure and, and you know like as we'll see in isaiah 28 like he really he rails on ephraim and and us the christians you know like because uh, <laughs> there wouldn't be a problem if he didn't have to to really go after it and stuff so um you know that that's definitely one thing that that i've had to to really check myself on you know like I, I keep having to set up barriers like am I following truth and righteousness or am I starting to ramiumptum or you know have these stiff necks and stuff like you know many in, in our church we can see um, people all over uh, community wise uh, uh, in our nation that it's not just the other side but but definitely within ourselves that we can see this which is scary, right? Because I mean, sometimes you, you see it in your own family or whatever that, and it, it's like, oh, wow, how did we get here? But it's yeah. by little small and, and simple degrees that it gets really thrown off. Is it I, Lord? That's a hard yeah. question to ask, but vital. Yeah, Thank for you. sure. 
Um, and Brother, uh, Brother Gileotti, in the first verse there, as he's given his commentary, that's what he goes to. He talks about the pride of the people that is the cause of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the pride of the covenant people. Yeah, if you go into the commentary part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's dive into um, Isaiah here. So, um, so kind of like we did last time. So if I'll read like the first 10, mom, the second 10, um, and then Nancy, would you kind of finish up the chapter for us? Um, so uh, starting off here in Isaiah 28. So woe to the garlands of glory to, of the drunkards of Ephraim. Their crowning splendor has become as fading wreaths on the heads of the opulent overcome with wine. My Lord has in store one mighty and strong as a ravaging hailstorm sweeping down, or like an inundating deluge of mighty waters, he will hurl them to the ground by his hand. The proud garlands of the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden underfoot, and the fading wreaths of, oh no, the fading wreaths, the crowns of glory on the heads of the opulent shall be like first ripe fruit before summer harvest. He who sees it devours it the moment he has a hold of it. In that day shall Jehovah of hosts be as a crown of beauty and a wreath of glory to the remnant of his people. A spirit of justice to, whom, to him who sits in judgment, a source of strength to those who repulse at the attack at the gates. These two have indulged in wine and are, and are giddy with strong drink. Priests and prophets have gone astray through liquor. They are intoxicated with wine and stagger because of strong drink. They err as seers. They blunder in their decisions. For all tables are filled with vomit. No spot is without excrement. Whom shall he give instruction? Whom shall he enlighten with revelation? Weanlings wean from milk, those just taken from the breast? For it is but line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, a trifle here, a trifle there. <coughs> and then, Mother, would you read the next one? Yes. Therefore, by incomprehensible speech and a strange tongue, must he speak to these people to whom he said, this is rest. Let the weary rest. This is a respite, but they would not listen. So to them, the word of Jehovah remained line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, a trifle here, a trifle there, that persisting, they might lapse into stumbling and break themselves become ensnared and be taken captive. Therefore, hear the word of Jehovah, you scoffers who preside over these people in Jerusalem. You have supposed by taking refuge in deception and hiding behind falsehoods to have covenanted with death or reached an understanding with show that should a flood flooding scourge sweep through the earth it shall not reach you therefore thus saith my lord jehovah i lay in zion a stone a keystone a precious cornerstone a sure foundation they who believe it will not do rashly i will make justice the measure righteousness the weight a hail shall sweep away your false refuge and waters flood a hiding place 
your covenant with death shall prove void. Your understanding with shall have no effect. When the flooding scourge sweeps through, you shall be overrun by it. As often as it sweeps through, you shall be seized by it. Morning after morning, it shall sweep through. By night, by day and by night, it shall seize you. It shall cause terror merely the, to hear the word of it. Then shall come to pass the proverb, the couch is too short to stretch out on, the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. You want me to just go ahead and read? Uh, yeah, until the end there. Okay. For Jehovah will rise up as he did on Mount Perizim and be stirred to anger as in the Valley of Gibeon to perform his act, his unwanted act and do his work, his bizarre work. Now therefore scoff not, lest your bonds grow severe for I have heard utter destruction decreed by my Lord Jehovah of hosts upon the whole earth. Give heed and hear my voice, be attentive and listen to what I say. Will the plowman be forever plowing to sow seed, disking and harrowing the same ground? When he has smoothed its surface, does he not sprinkle fennel and scatter cumin? Does he not demarcate wheat from barley and plant buckwheat in its own plot? His God instructs him, directing him in the proper procedure. Fennel is not threshed with a sharp toothed sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. Fennel is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Domestic grain is ground. One does not go on endlessly threshing it. It cannot be ground by driving horse and threshing cart over it. These things originate with Jehovah of hosts, whose counsel is wonderful, whose inspiration is surpassing. So yeah, uh, this is quite an intense chapter here. Uh, it's quite a rebuke of Ephraim uh, themselves. Uh, as we go through this whole uh, week here, we have four different chapters that pronounce four different woes on, on the people in the last days. And this one's directed right at Ephraim. This is, this is us. This is the people of the covenant of the church. And um, what is he accusing us of here? Like, there's some harsh accusations, uh, if we'll take time to unpack them here. Um, uh, what was... Well, pride be in number one. Uh, mm -hmm. but where it's precept upon precept line upon line um where we we just kind of parrot back what we've been taught but we don't go any further we're, we're just kind of stuck there you know as a whole i don't mean everyone but as uh, the church as a whole we're kind of stuck in this where we we know the answers to the questions when we're asked, you know, in Sunday school and, and our meetings and stuff, but we don't go any further. We're just stuck on the milk. We're not willing to, to realize and want more. We don't and want anybody, the meat. Yeah, and anybody who answers a question with a deeper answer than just yeah. the, the parroted answer gets mm -hmm. Stairs and crickets. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. You know, when I was studying this um, a while ago, I was um, 
I remembered hearing it and I, I was really bothered by what chapter 28 implied. And so I was studying this and when I got to the drunkard, the bee firm, one of the things that came to me is that it's not just drinking alcohol. And I made a list of the things that men could be drunk on, right? Mm -hmm. Power, glory, money, prestige, notoriety, fame, authority, position, calling, knowledge, adoration, acclaim, wisdom, in quotes, and pride. Those are all things that men can be drunk on and that can influence what they say, what they do, how they behave, and cause them to make choices that are not in line with um, what Christ would have them do. And I think that we all have seen every one of these in various places within the church. Yeah, exactly. And like Leslie says, we need to always be on guard for ourselves so we don't fall into any of those. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. like I'm being honest with myself, like uh, half of those things I, I've come across at different points in my life. And I'm not saying that I'm free of any of them at, at this moment, but you know, like always trying to check yourself and ask yourself, where are you at? You know, have frequent counsels with the Lord. Like, uh, like Leslie said, you know, what lack I yet? Always be humble enough to ask that question so that he can humble you and show you where your weaknesses are and and actually be able to work with you so that you can uh root out those things and, and eliminate them right yeah who among us wouldn't um feel a little bit of hmm you know <laughs> that kind of pride um if we were to um make a comment on a on social media that a whole bunch of people liked right Everybody liked it. Oh, that's a great comment. I never thought of that before. Wow, you have all this. How many of us would would be able to go? Um, look, not me. That's not me. We would we would start patting ourselves on the back, and we would start, yeah. you know, oh look at me, kind of thing. And and if we let that go very far, before we we check ourselves. So exactly, exactly what Leslie was saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, just to kind of go through a little bit of this line upon line principle, um, as I was listening to Abraham's commentary on it, um, he said that in the, the Middle East and, and Near East, that uh, it, it's a common practice, a teaching style, especially amongst young uh, uh, children and stuff, to uh, listen and repeat, right? A, a teacher writes something on the board, says it, and then has the, the class repeat what was said so that it's it's that, that value of repetition. And so that's what line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, it's that parroting. Uh, you, you're just kind of creating parrots to begin with, and which is great on a it's small- It's a great way to level. learn the gospel, yeah. the, to learn the scriptures and stuff to a point, but don't get stuck there, mm -hmm. you know? And, and that's what here in 12 and 13 is saying, but they would not listen. So to those that would not listen, the word of Jehovah remained. It got stuck line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. What do we hear in Sunday school? You know, well, uh, say your prayers, read the scriptures, attend your meetings, like do the basic simple things. But those aren't enough for salvation and exaltation. Like you have to, you have to be 
do more if you want uh, some of these uh, responsibilities and higher covenants that that you're wanting to aim, you know, like uh, line upon line is not going to be enough to spiritually survive in the last days. And and we can become ensnared and taken captive. You know, we we don't want that. If you don't want that, you got to start going for a little bit more than, than just the basic. Look in looking eleven, there. Um, can you bring it down just a little to where it shows? Yeah, the tongue. The tongue is the antichrist. The the what else do we call it? king of Assyria or whatever? Anyway, that's who the tongue is. That's who um, the Lord is using to humble us and reprimand us and stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. But then in verse 16, if you can go down to that, then he talks about the stone that's been given to us, the keystone and everything. And they who believe it will not do rashly. Anyway, that stone, according to Abraham, is the end time servant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if we are scrolling back up to um, part of the top here. Second. I should have wrote down which verse it was that stuck out to me. Oh, yeah, priests and prophets have gone astray through liquor. So, you know, yes, we can proof text things to death and, and misapply scriptures to what we're living right now. But how many people have, have said our prophet has gone astray because of recent events and letters and, and things, right? So how do we uh, avoid proof texting, first of all? And, and how do we navigate a world where we are seeing seemingly contradictory paradoxes being presented by our leaders you know i mean because this is this is the last days we're going to have lots of different struggles and trials to to go through but um you know i've seen a lot of people falter just just these last couple weeks on things how do we navigate what is being prophesied here in isaiah uh correctly to to help us through the, this current situation. Um, I, you know, I think it's, it's very poignant uh, that we're living right through Isaiah 28 at this very moment. Um, any, any thoughts, any uh, comments along that line? Um, Cameron, I- Well, Lauren, I, go ahead. Sorry. We'll go less than Okay. Um, Ladies first. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if I can actually answer your question, but I did want to share um, something. Um, a week ago, we had state conference and Elder Renlin was there. And it was, uh, there were a portion of it was a question and answer session. And the, the question about the, the COVID vaccination letter came up and masks and all that. Well, they didn't want to care about the mask part. They just want to know about the vaccination part. And um, the answer that he gave was um, uh, full of love and um, not telling us what to do. But he said that 
um, that first of all, it's not a commandment. And second of all, that he said all 15 of them have been vaccinated and it seemed good to each one of them and it seemed good to the Holy Ghost. And then the, and I'm, I'm lumping it into main points. And then the third point he made, which was the most significant to me was that he said, I, he bore testimony of um, President Nelson being a seer. And mm -hmm. then he left it at that. So. Yeah, I, I love that. I love hearing, because it seems like quite a few people had different state conferences with different authorities that same week, which is pretty brave. Like, holy cow, I would not want to be on the, the receiving end of, of some of those questions. But um, yeah, very interesting because uh, I, I've talked to, to quite a few people uh, in my community and, and family where we're receiving conflicting answers you know like we're, we're asking the lord what should we do and uh, to one person is given this and another person is giving this so how do we reconcile that like uh you know like our, our prophet is urging and this and that and so um uh, you know that that that's a hard thing that i don't know uh especially my generation of of church members have had to deal with before you know like where we have to actually wrestle with the lord for an answer like hey i need to know here and it seems so poignant that we have a true and living prophet that is, is being guided by the Lord. He's telling us to hear him because we won't be able to spiritually survive. And then it's kind of like he throws out a pop quiz. Like, okay, are you going to A, fly about with every wind of doctrine that you hear uh, about the, the vaccine kind of thing? Or are you going to follow me blindly? Or are you going to hear the Lord? Are you going to go directly to the source and ask him the, the question kind of thing? Like there, there seems to be uh, some, some varying responses that, that are here, but I, I think it's kind of the, the first pop quiz of, of many that, that we might receive in these last days. But um, I think it's so poignant to this section of the Bifid structure here about loyalty versus disloyalty. Um, if we've seen anything with the patterns of, of Hezekiah and Ahaz, et cetera, like, it's all about loyalty to the Lord, first and foremost. I mean, we have prophets, exactly. seers, and revelators that are pointing us to God, but are we actually going to put it in practice? Um, uh, one person in, in group A uh, was saying that um, they were talking with their mom, and their mom hadn't even prayed about the vaccine or whatever, and she's like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> you're just going to kind of float along and, and hopefully get an answer by a miracle? Like, you have to actually go and ask the Lord uh, in order to, to receive an answer kind of thing, and, and I thought that that was kind of interesting. Like, there, it's an interesting time to be, to be alive in, in the last part of, of the last days, right? But I've seen quite a few people fall uh, just this last week into a, a snare that is presented here in, in chapter 28. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I would like to bring out is the fact that a lot of people are seeing these declarations and these messages coming from Salt Lake as somebody is making a mistake and, and, and having to do with, uh, with information from the Lord. But this is where that loyalty thing comes in. If you're loyal to the prophet, then you will understand that what he says, which is first and foremost, is 
hear him, hear the Lord, hear the Savior, okay? Um, my wife has a scripture she'll be sharing here about strange acts, but the whole idea is we make this assumption that there is an error made someplace and that the prophet or one of the counselors or the whole group, they've made an error in the, by bringing this out. But this is, like you said, that pop quiz where he is literally making every person take it to the Lord and find out what their personal, individual reaction is. The, the virus, the, the, the shot, the masks, that really are nothing more than the motivation to connect mm -hmm. with the Lord. So this is the Lord trying to make a personal uh, person to person call from the God to you, uh, but you have to pick up the phone. Or, or in this particular case, each one of you has been given a, a, a charge and the telephone number, and you have to pick up the phone and make the first call and he will answer on the end. And each one might have as individual an answer as they are. Some yes, some no, some with, some without. And it doesn't mean that any one of them are wrong, but the Lord has a plan and is going to use each one of those and their particular clarifications in order to get the job done. So mm -hmm. the, the scripture that Scott alluded to is actually a cross-reference for Isaiah 28, 21. Okay. And um, in the King James Version, the wording is actually very, very, very close. Abraham uses a little bit different, you know, he uses unwanted and bizarre, but, um, well, maybe it is unwanted, right? Um, but Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verse 95, says that I may proceed to bring to pass my act, my strange act, and perform my work, my strange work, that men may discern between the righteous and the wicked, saith your God. So God is going to do something strange, something out of character, so that we mm -hmm. can tell who the righteous are and who the wicked are. And, um, you know, then that brings up the, the thing, you know, well, who's the righteous and who's the wicked? And there's all sorts of people on both sides of the mm -hmm. argument who are going to try to say, well, we're the righteous and they're the wicked. We're the wheat and they're the tares. I mean, we've heard that over and over a lot the last year. But what I want to um, submit and see what you guys think is we have been told by Christ, what are the two great commandments? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, heart, you know, mind and heart, whatever. <laughs> I can't ever get them in the right order. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So if we truly love our neighbor by our, as ourselves, we would allow them to get their own answer and make their own choice and would allow them the agency to do what they feel is correct for them, according to the Lord. And we would still love them and we would su still support them, even if their answer is different from ours. If, if they get the answer that um, they should behave one way and we get that we should do the other, then we still can be unified with them. We can still be yeah. unified as a ward and as a community and as a church to, um, even if we don't agree on every different thing, even if we do have variations and we're all a little different, right? It would be mm -hmm. awful if we were all the yeah. same because this is a dividing line, not between 
a shot and not a shot or a mask and not a mask or um, you know things along those lines. It's a dividing, dividing line between do we follow the plan that Christ laid out with um, agency and the ability to choose or do we follow Satan's plan of compulsion and mandates and you have to do you have to think what I think, say what I say, do what I do, or you're going to be ostracized. Who, whose plan is that? And I'm seeing people on both sides of the argument who are choosing that plan, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that is the whole crux of this. This is to really, um, to bring to the surface who we are inside. Um, somebody made a comment about how this statement was very divisive to the church. And I, I don't think that the statement was, I think it was just making perfectly clear the division that was already there in the way people think. Um, there are a lot more members who have ramiumptums, um, than we would like to think. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know. Sure. We may have our own, right? We may have our own Remyemptum. And so we need to look at that and think, are we choosing Christ's side? Or are we choosing the plan we fought against before? Because we're fearful or we're anxious or we're worried. And, you know, Christ tells us that he will give us peace, not as the world giveth, but he will give us peace, right? And that peace is comes from faith and we can't have faith and fear at the same time we can't have faith and worry at the same time you know whose voice are we listening to and so i thought that that was really um really cool because this strange act this strange work i've heard so many people go well why would the brethren word it this way we know that's not true and Mm -hmm. it's strange but i think the lord told them this is what you do Yes, it's going to cause a division. Let's see how it plays out, shall we? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that President Nelson was given very detailed steps. You do this at this time, and then this at this time, and you encourage them to do this, and you tell them to do this, and you tell them to do that. He gave us in 2018 and 2019 and 2020, in his talks, he told us that we needed to... Um, get our uh, spiritual um, abilities up. And he said, if you haven't started now, please do so. Time is running out. Mm-hmm. And he told us that in 2019. And then what happened in 20? And look at what's going on this year. Oh my goodness. We, we need to listen to him. And now uh, you have people who all they want to do is say, well, he's not, he's not a prophet anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. I think he's done pretty well. Yeah. Um, I would not want to be in his shoes. <laughs> I, I was really glad to hear, was that Rasband or Renland who was talking at that state conference? Elder Renland. Renland. I'm really glad to hear that. I did hear that Elder Christofferson said pretty much the same thing that they're all on that same page. This is not a commandment. 
you know, this is not a temple recommend re issue, right? Are you, do you have your vaccine? That That's not, um, and, and whether you get it or not is not determining whether or not you follow the prophet. Those but are the first are, words that came out of his mouth, that this is not a commandment. Yeah, so. there are so many members who want to make it a commandment. I saw some video of somebody who was getting all upset and said, this came out and now this is, this is doctrine. What are we going to do about it? And I'm like, it's not doctrine. It's a statement by the first presidency. In the last few years, the first presidency has urged members to vote, to get involved in their political parties in their state, to fill out and return their census forms um, in California to vote for a couple of specific propositions. Nobody ever thought those were commandments, right? They realized this is our opinion on this, you know, we urge you to do this. But I think this issue is just already so divisive that people have latched onto it as a way to beat their opponents over the head with it. Or justify their own position. Or justify their own position. And I think that's how we will discern between the righteous and the wicked, between those who are trying to live a Zion life so that when they can create Zion and those who will still find themselves on the outside. So there's, there's my soapbox for the day. Yeah. I love the, uh, the, the, his work, his strange work, etc. because, uh, mm -hmm. often we're given paradoxes or seemingly contradictory things so that we can actually go to the Lord and work those things out. You know, I mean, we're presented with them all over the place and, uh, you know, we we're, we're kind of it. It's taught to us so much that I think sometimes we kind of get blind to it. But you know, even with Adam and Eve, uh, two conflicting commandments, and, and here, uh, every step of the way, uh, the Lord works in paradoxes so that we'll actually turn to Him for answers. And you know, He's doing it in in this day as well as any other. Um, I, I wanted to kind of uh, read this one little summary paragraph from from uh, Avraham here. It says. That a covenant with death is a purposeful decision in favor of evil over good. It epitomizes reliance on, by Jehovah's reprobate people on human counsel or schemes. Parties to that covenant of death include the ecclesiastical and political leaders of Jehovah's people. They scoff at Jehovah's living oracle, uh, which, which we're seeing, right? Consequently, for those people who scoff at Jehovah's living oracle... A flooding scourge overruns them when Jehovah brings utter desolation upon the whole earth. Um, and he goes into all of the different scriptures that, that exemplify that in, in these last days. So, uh, you know, I, I just have such a huge testimony of that we are led by Christ, but we are also led by prophets and apostles that are pointing us to him. They, they've received a greater vision, a vision of all, so that they can help us navigate. There's going to be seeming paradoxes. There's going to be times when uh, we, uh, <laughs> that are, you know, we're all on different levels of, of this ladder, right? We're all trying to do the best we can, but as we hearken to our living prophets, as they hearken to the Lord, that we can be um, confident and, and peaceful in our decisions. As long as we're hearing him and, and doing that, um, I, I think that that's why the, the restoration proclamation was so timely. I didn't realize that at the time I thought, wow, that's pretty obvious, just like the other proclamations when they came out. But now it's like, 
oh no, if you don't have a testimony of Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, uh, and current living prophets, you're not going to be able to, to navigate some of the paradoxes that are coming our way. You know, Christianity is going to fall out of the mainstream. We're going to be attacked viciously in the upcoming days by the Antichrist. Are you going to be able to stand firm in your testimony? And so, I mean, that that's my testimony tonight is just like, of course, I stand with the Lord. I stand with his anointed prophets. And, you know, it, it's all about hearing him. That's, that's where it's all at. Um, it, it's so sad to see so many falter and, um, and, and turn about, but, um, uh, I, I think it's just such a testament to, to President Nelson's presidency, uh, what he's been doing all along the way, uh, to help get us there. And then, you know, he loves to give us little tests and periodic pop quizzes and, and things like, what an amazing man. I would not want to be in his shoes right now, but like, I, I know that he's a prophet, uh, hands down. Uh, everything uh, uh, witnesses to that fact. Um, let's see. So got to catch up on the chats before we get out here. So um, just the back and forth on that list of, of Nancy's there. Thank you. Um, so is the Antichrist and the King of Assyria the same person? Yes. So he uses um, the Antichrist motif, that wording from uh, like the, the book of Daniel and, and, and Revelation uh, in, in some degree, it's called by lots of different names. But um, in Isaiah, it's uh, the king of Assyria, the king of Babylon, um, and archtyrant a lot of times. And so they, they all play into that composite um, figure. So there's an end time servant and an end time uh, antichrist um, that rise at the same time and I don't know I wish we had uh, all the time in the world to discuss these chapters but um, I would venture to say that we know both of them pretty well uh, who they are and that they're already on the scene but that's my opinion <laughs> um, anyway you'll learn so... a lot more line by line line by line <laughs> yep line by line precept bound precept kavla kav kavla kav I love the, <laughs> the alliteration that that really is in Hebrew. Um, uh, tavlatav, tavlatav, kavlakav, kavlakav. It's just like, yeah, it's just <laughs> so humdrum. <laughs> I love that part. Um, so you think you you think that the Antichrist and the serpent are both on the scene? That we know who they are, or we know them, we know of them, just not what that that's who they are. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, like if you were to ask me, like, who are they? Give me a name or whatever. Like, well, I could give you the name of one of them for sure. But like the other one, I, I don't know. But I think that he's definitely on the scene. I, I just don't know if we we realize the full extent because he's kind of hidden in the shadows. But I mean, I'm curious as to which one you know for sure. I want to know which one you know for sure. <laughs> we'll have to stop recording. Yeah, stop you, recording um, and then we can talk. <laughs> you better not say, bud. Oh, I'm not saying. But um, what was I going to say? I was going to say an important thing. Good going, man. Sorry. Oh, no, you're, you're fine. It's just <laughs> I blinked. You're too oh, young oh, for oh. a moment. <laughs> yes so if we are learning anything from this past week of political stuff that Ezra's eagle is coming to uh, to a fruition pretty rapidly 
And so if that's coming to fruition pretty close, then, I mean, we know that the, the final points of it are, are very quick. And so I, I would say that before the end of the year or somewhat into next year, we will know Antichrist, at least that he's on the scene for sure. But I think we already kind of know he's on the scene. But anyway, I don't know. For, uh, for, Ezra Zabel, we, for Ezra Zabel, we have to get through, you know, if, if Biden is a short feather, then we have to get through one more short feather before we get to the eagle heads or two. Oh, I think. No, Biden's the last one. So there's two feathers after Biden that think in themselves to rule, but rule not. Right, right, right. So that would be um, like Harris and Pelosi. Mm -hmm. Possibly, right? yeah. And if she were to pick her. So, and, and then we have two eagle heads that then are both taken out by the main eagle head, which is the Antichrist, right? Who mm -hmm. then comes on the scene, and I could see something like that happening. Boom, 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 really fast, right? To have all of this, and that would really put the whole country in a tailspin and an upheaval. And then somebody <laughs> right? would come through and say, "Hey, remember me? I'll take care of you. I'll do mm -hmm. this. I'll, I'll I'll bring order again." Mm -hmm. And blame it all so, on the Christians in the meantime. <laughs> Yes, yes, which you know he kind of did before anyway. So anyway, I, I have my I have my ideas about that one. Mm -hmm. So so there have been there so are two schools there are two schools of thought on the Davidic servant about whether he will be some one of the members of the Quorum of the Twelve or the prophet, or if he'll be somebody different. Mm -hmm. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think my personal opinion i think we already know who he is like i i think we already know him by name as a person kind of a thing versus some outsider that's just going to kind of surprise us mm -hmm. uh, you know because like like you said the two schools of thought that there's going to be somebody outside of the corner of the 12 and, and prophet that that comes in and helps gather the scattered sheep versus i think we already know who he is but i don't know okay all right just a thought. Just, just wondering. Mm -hmm. Anyway, <laughs> it's gonna be so fun. Like, I don't even know how to describe like my excitement for the last days because I know it's all gonna get really crazy. But at the same time, it's like front row seats. Yeah, so it's like front row seats here and like the best movie yeah. ever. <laughs> Doesn't DNC tell us we will know the answers to all of the questions? You will actually be all of the all of the deceptions will come to pass and will be shown. You know mm -hmm. that's that's part of the the promises that we see in DNC eighty eight. Pop a mm -hmm. big giant bowl of popcorn and enjoy your front row seat. Because <laughs> yep. there are there are prophets all in the past who wished they could be alive to see this. You know, to know. see how it many prophets have seen their day specifically our day. It's us, you know. I, Nancy, I will, just make sure you have um, popcorn in your food storage, honey. <laughs> I do. I know. I, I have, don't have, I have popcorn a, in my food storage. I have a popcorn <laughs> popper that I can put over a fire, and I have a little bag of popcorn and, and plenty of butter. Oh, yeah. and the little, you know, the the little packets you cut open, and it's got the oil and the salt and the popcorn all in it. Yeah, I got that. 
Yes, Cameron, do I have, do I, you think I have it in my, my food storage? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I love that. We are of but, the yeah. mind, we're of the mind that, um, the mindset that you have at least a little bit of everything that you might need. And that way the Lord has something he can multiply. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because uh, there's like the two schools of thought on food storage, right? Do you like stock up and just barely get by on like one or two staple things? Or do you just kind of get a little bit of everything and then loaves and fishes? kind of? I'm in the loaves and fishes camp for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and because I'm in the loaves and fishes camp, I'm not one of those people who's like, well, I got my ammo and you better not come to my house kind of thing. If the Lord is going to multiply what I have, then I can share it with all of his people. Mm -hmm. and trust that he will give me enough i like that yeah for sure yeah, for sure it, yeah, it, I, I always have have done my food preparations thinking you know i don't know if this is all for me i think this is for other people so you know just trying to accumulate with what resources the lord gives me and then hopefully yep. it's multiplied later absolutely yeah, well, it has been funny, <laughs> not funny, fun and a journey tonight. It's kind of funny, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I didn't realize the time we went over quite a bit. Sorry for that. I try to keep these pretty on time, but you know, sometimes it gets away from me. So it has on a regular basis. I might resemble that remark. Hey. Uh, Nancy, thanks for sending the produce home with Cameron. Oh, We've been busily freeze drying and <laughs> save it. Great. I'm so happy. I'm so glad that you guys could use it. It's yeah. Fabulous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, nothing's gone to waste. What, well, what, one pair had a little problem, but other <laughs> than that, everything's good. <laughs> So what do you call one pair? No, oh, it's not a pair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cute. I told you it was a little funny today. Yeah. <laughs> Laugh riot. Oh, yeah. I'm in rare form um, today, sorry. <laughs> Very good. All right, well, we will we see everyone next week for the... <laughs> Yes, uh, for the good news of loyalty next week, it'll it'll be a fun one. <laughs> All right, we'll see everyone later. Thanks, bye. Bye. bye.